Hello everyone, we are We Speak. Let us travel with activism around the world virtually. On this journey, we can learn more about organizing activism and social justice during COVID-19 pandemic. For this week, we are staying here in Mankato, Minnesota with our special guest, um, Laura Schultz. Today's hosts are Alex, Julia, and Jenny. Laura Schultz is working here at the Minnesota State University as a director of Violence Awareness and Response Program. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. So um, could you tell us a little bit about your path? Like what inspired you in the first place to start your own um, podcast and what goals your podcast has? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the question. So the podcast that I have is called Starting to Feel Better. And this is a podcast that was kind of born out of the programming that I was doing on campus that I couldn't continue to do in the same way when the COVID pandemic started. And we all began working remotely in the division that I'm a part of. So the programming that I was really excited and invigorated and activated around was exploring the intersection of trauma recovery and creative arts. So on campus, we had an art therapist come and discuss what is art therapy and how does that work as a modality with folks who have survived or experienced trauma. We also had a music therapist, and then we had a dance and movement therapist come to campus and discuss those same topics. And I loved the conversations that this yielded, both for victims and survivors themselves, for individuals who wanted to potentially go into those fields, or for individuals who wanted to work with folks who have survived or experienced trauma. Of course, trauma is a big, broad word that includes a lot of different experiences. Generally, we say that trauma is something that overwhelms one's ability to cope. And when I'm looking at trauma, most often I'm looking at folks who have survived or experienced intimate partner violence or sexual violence. So those are some of the main kind of ideas behind starting the podcast that I had. How can I enter conversations with folks who work with individuals who have experienced different forms of trauma, who they themselves have experienced different forms of trauma, and how are they using or how have they used creativity in their own experiences of healing? And how can others learn, grow, develop from that? Because of the pandemic, we were asked as a division to come up with programming that could be delivered virtually, right, or remotely. And so a podcast felt like a great way to continue these conversations. Every episode that I've had so far has been an interview, right? So it's been a conversation with someone who does work or has survived or experienced one of these forms of violence or abuse or trauma, or someone who's creative, who, who's in the creative arts, and who can speak to how that specific um, artistic medium resonates with individuals who have survived or experienced trauma. 
I feel like it's very important that, like you said, that we, even like in the middle of the pandemic, we still have these different ways to keep having those conversations and discussions with each other. Um, because if we are thinking about like trauma, like this pandemic and how everything changed like so quick, it's like this um, collective trauma that all of us um, share. So, yeah. Absolutely great point, Yanni. Yeah, it is. It's definitely there's that backdrop of collective trauma that folks are living through, are surviving right now. And then how do you manage maybe an interpersonal trauma that you've survived or experienced against that backdrop of ongoing collective historical trauma as well? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for that little like uh, intro to this because yeah, before the pandemic hit, I would have never really seen podcasts as a tool of activism. Um, mm-hmm. But how do you see yourself as an activist? And how do you see a podcast as a way of activism? Yeah, well, it's an interesting question because I could throw it back to y'all because you're doing a similar thing, right? With podcasting as activism. Uh, and I think that, yeah, that activism is a... Uh, multi-pronged tool, right? Activism has a lot of different facets. And as activists, we need to also have multiple ways that we can intervene, that this can happen on an interpersonal level, right? In the conversations that we're having or sharing through our podcasting or at the dinner table, right? Um, It can also be uh, more far-reaching. It can have to do with wealth redistribution. Uh, It can have to do with the ways that we might lobby or encourage folks to vote in the interest of individuals who are experiencing um, oppression and trauma in ongoing ways in our society. Uh, It might have to do with lobbying our lawmakers, right? So activism can also be, uh, can begin with uh, ongoing education. I think that's a really important part of our activism that we continue learning and frankly, continue unlearning, right? We all know that we have implicit biases that need to be checked and rechecked and we need to continue to kind of dig into ourselves and identify what are some things that I need to continue to work on, not get stuck or frozen in shame, but identify those implicit biases and then do the work that we need to do to become um, activists that are intersectional in the work that we do, that that we continue to, um, yeah, really, I think not get frozen by by feelings of um, guilt when we identify that we have unlearning to do as we all do. Yeah, I really love that. Thank you so much. And sure, we all have experienced the feeling of I'm so small and the world is so big and I can only do so much that when you have those feelings, you can bring it back to okay, well, let's, let's break this down a little bit and be an activist in ways that I can right now. And that is just listening to 
yourself listening to podcasts or like like further education type things and yeah working on yourself with that like that's something that is like a lot more like I can stomach that sometimes but sometimes I can't think about how there is just shit going on in the world and I can't do anything about it so I really love that you said that absolutely it can feel really overwhelming uh definitely especially as we're learning it can feel really overwhelming like oh my god I didn't know that all of this was happening um and what's my part what's my role in that and so yeah making steps doing something uh is is great (laughs) and collectively Uh too this is super helpful that we have the strength of each other, right? Um, I always, I love the metaphor. I'm a creative person myself, which is part of the reason that I'm so drawn to creativity and trauma. I'm a songwriter um, primarily. And so I love the metaphor about collective action as like singing with a choir, that when we sing in a choral arrangement, we know that the, I'm a soprano, the soprano next to me can keep singing through that note. I can take a quick breath and they can keep singing while I take a quick breath, right? So our self-care, our self-soothing, our, um, our maintenance of ourselves is really important in the work as well. And when we're working collectively, we know that there are other folks who in that moment, when we're taking a quick inhale, that they can continue singing that they can continue the work. And we know we'll come back. We just have to take that quick breath. I just absolutely love that metaphor. I also love that because I am a true ride or die choir kid and there is nothing quite like the wall of sound you can create with others. I don't think I've ever had the community, a community so close and so different and diverse as a choir. Oh, I love it. Anywho. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's through all of the differences of those voices that we can create something incredibly beautiful that we couldn't do with just one voice. It just isn't the same. You can make beautiful music on your own. Of course, absolutely. I'm not saying you can't. But all together, there's a, you mentioned this sort of wall of sound, right? And this sort of full body experience that if you're in choir or you've ever been in choir, you kind of know, or probably in a symphony or an orchestra, um, you know that sensation of like, we all did it. <laughs> and we hit that note or we got that interval and you just resonate you just kind of buzz with the energy of that. We get that with other people in the way that we can't get all alone. Love that conversation, yes. What, how do you find the people that you interview? Kind of what does that look like for you in, when you go through that process of maybe an idea and finding someone who fits that idea that you have? Yeah, definitely. So probably not dissimilar to yourselves. Uh, I've started with folks who I know really well, who I knew I could have conversations with, who I would feel comfortable uh, talking with as I was developing how to do this thing, right? How to have a conversation that's being recorded and make it feel comfortable and like we're just hanging out, right? There's a real uh, challenge there. 
uh, when you know that you're being recorded for something. So I wanted to work directly with people who I knew really well. So my sister is an art therapist. So she was one of my first interviews. She worked for a long time with children. Uh, so she spoke to some of those like postpartum traumas that folks have survived or experienced and uh, the way that creativity, the way that art therapy can be a great vehicle or I love this conversation too with art or creativity, that it can be a container for the experience or for the trauma, right? That we create this container through a song that we write, through a song that we're talking about, through a piece of art that we make, through movement. This is the container for us to then be able to discuss and talk about, have a little distance from that thing. Uh, so my sister was one of my first guests. My very, very good friend Jenny Haddad was one of my first guests. She is a uh, domestic violence advocate in Wisconsin, and she has also done some really, really awesome work with creativity and her work with victims and survivors as an advocate. And then it kind of kept going out from there, right? So other folks who I was thinking about in slightly different ways or in different contexts, how does this person have a relationship to creativity or trauma? As I mentioned a little bit in that kind of introduction here today, I changed the way that I defined who a podcast guest would be as time went on, because this is a pretty specific Venn diagram, right? <laughs> this space in the middle <laughs> is pretty specific someone who works with victims and survivors of trauma, and someone who uses creativity to work with victims and survivors of trauma. And I realized that creativity can be so many different things. It doesn't need to be a specific modality. It doesn't need to be like I talked about these kind of fine art, um, sculpture or right painting or drawing. Uh, it can also be creativity of thought, thinking about things a slightly different way. Um, using metaphors to describe or discuss trauma can absolutely be creative, right? So I began to think slightly differently about the ideal guest for the podcast. And I talked with them about what do you think about how the work that you do as a writer, as a poet, um, as a as a musician. How do you see that intersecting with Yenny, as you mentioned at the top of the podcast, this collective trauma that we're all surviving right now, uh, especially around racial injustice, especially around the COVID-19 pandemic? How do you see your art speaking to that collective trauma? What do you see your role as an artist in this experience of creative, um, of collective trauma being? So as I continued with the podcast, the more comfortable I felt reaching out to folks who I had never met before. So it was to some degree, some of those interviews were, I kind of knew this person and they thought this person would be a really good fit. In season two, reaching out to folk because I knew the way that the podcast was going to run. I had a sense of the questions that I was going to ask and how to respond when the answers came back, right? So the more comfortable I got, no as well. Um, so with our some of our past um, people we've had on here, we've talked about how difficult um, it was to suddenly make um, all the changes with their work and their activism, uh, when at the same time, there was really that personal aspect that all of us had to adapt to in this new situation that kind of changed our lives. So one of the questions that I asked every guest was, what are you doing to remain grounded and connected during this time? 
conversation helped me a lot. Remaining connected to friends, family, loved ones was huge throughout this uh, strange time in our lives. Throughout this pandemic, throughout all this quarantining stuff, started about 17 book clubs with friends and family. I started probably five book clubs, right? Um, so I'm reading about five books a month. That's great. It also is a great way to have some structure but, and so we want to be able to bring structure to that chaos. And then I have one with a friend from uh, undergrad as well. Some of them are weekly, some of them are monthly, where we are getting together to talk about one specific thing. We're seeing each other. That's been amazing. Creativity has been really important for me too. I write some poetry, I write some short stories, but like I said, mostly I think of myself as a songwriter. And at the beginning of the pandemic, I'm having a couple of thoughts, I'll share both of them. <laughs> at the beginning of the pandemic, we were doing a lot of songwriting. I was doing like weekly songwriting sessions with my partner, Colin, and um, a colleague from the art department at MSU, uh, who's also a songwriter. So we would get together on Zooms, we would have like, I would give myself two hours to write lyrics and music and record a song, and then we would play them and talk about them together. That felt great for a while. And then I have to tell y'all, it didn't feel great anymore. The creativity that I needed to kind of manufacture and then have a thing felt like stress. It felt heavy. It felt like anxiety. It felt sad because I'm also a performer and we weren't performing these songs. I was writing a song that wasn't ever being performed. And how good that can feel, it's similar for me as a, as a band member right? That moment of like other people heard this and got it and, and were into it and had a response. And I'm connecting. That connection wasn't happening after the song was written. So I had to step back from that and not judge myself too harshly. And Alex, I think that's a big part of this for me, is recognizing that self-judgment when it comes up. Oh, Lori should be doing this. We gotta watch our shoulds, right? I, should I? Like, who says? Who's, who's telling me I should? Maybe I need to move back a little bit from that thing. That thing used to be really comforting right now in this moment. It's a little bit painful and that's okay. I get to feel that and I get to step back from it. Yeah, so to manage, to deal, a lot of it was connecting with other people. A lot of it was using creativity a little bit differently, right, through reading, um, nonfiction, fiction, and then talking about it, you know, picturing as we're reading, having some of that creativity come through. Um, and then how podcasting changed my relationship to activism. Uh, I think that, like we talked about earlier, it's not something I would have thought to do if the pandemic hadn't started. I would have continued bringing folks to campus to have these conversations in a sort of one-time deal, right? That's what those presentations on campus usually were. Somebody came, talked about the thing, it happened for the people in the room, and then it was done. And now we've got these conversations that I can go back to. I can listen back to what Bridget Weber said about creativity, right? I can listen to Kirsten Cron Mills talk about writing and uh, activism and get inspired again, over and over again. So it changed the way that I think about programming. Yeah, I think it changed um, some of my own relationships to technology. I mean, shoot, I wasn't doing any, 
I mean, I, I didn't even know what Zoom was like a year ago, right? Um, I didn't really think about editing spoken audio in, uh, I just use GarageBand, right? I, I wasn't thinking about any of that stuff before. So I think it changed the tools that I use as, uh, as a programmer, as an activist as well. Yeah, I think that's um, definitely been one of the biggest struggles of the pandemic for um, activists, especially um, like those of us that are just getting started. Um, so what tips would you give to young activists who are really wanting to do something but are kind of struggling with how to start, especially with kind of the limitations that this pandemic has presented? Yeah, I'd say you don't have to do it alone, right? So if you are, as a, as a young activist, you're looking around you and you're like, how is everybody doing that thing? You can reach out to them. You can ask them, right? You can reach out. Uh, we were just having a conversation, my partner and I, last night about like Instagram sort of, especially for us, has broken down so many walls about like, oh, I could never talk to that musician. I could never contact that um, podcaster in uh, some cases. I could never, I, I'll never meet that author. Uh, as you all had in one of your classes, right? An author came in because somebody reached out on Instagram. This, this breaks down some of the formalities and gives us more of an opportunity to connect directly with folks. So I would say that if you're just getting started and you're seeing and feeling overwhelmed or feeling flooded by how much other people seem to be doing, you can reach out to them. You can check in, not everybody, will respond but some people will and i certainly you know when people reach out to me about the podcast yeah i'm happy to tell you all about what it was like to start it and a lot of people are are the same a lot of people are more than happy to tell you how you might get involved in the thing that they're doing in the work that they're doing or how you might start something yourself just really feeling as though you're a part of a collective you're a part of a larger group it's not just you and it doesn't have to be just you. You can learn from others and others are willing to teach. Definitely. And I think that touches on a lot of different things. I think there's really a stigma that like you have to do it all alone sort of thing. And I, I really like that you pointed out that we all are part of a collective and it is important to whether it be doing activism or just living through the pandemic to reach out to people and really um, get other people's help if you need it. And then the other thing is that I think a lot of people think of activism as like going out and protesting in the streets, which I mean, some people are doing during this time, but others don't feel safe doing it because of the limitations of the pandemic. So it's definitely good to know that there are other ways to be creative other than just kind of being on the front line sort of um so our last um little question is just do you have anything that you want to uh plug that you're maybe doing or working on now either with your podcast or in addition to the podcast sure yeah i feel like i'm i'm on hot ones where everybody eats the they eat the like really spicy wings and then at the end they get to plug something and they're never prepared i feel a little bit like that <laughs> but i didn't eat anything so i would say um the thing that comes to mind that I would want to plug that I'm really excited about that I feel really proud of is that um, my colleague Dr. Lindsay Mern and I 
wrote an article that was published in October of 2020, and it is meant to provide structure for individuals who have survived or experienced specifically sexual violence. That structure is provided through this tool that we conceived of and created together that builds off of other folks' really amazing research that we call the ripple effect of sexual violence. So we have this article that was published and these tools that we created. Uh, there's the ripple effect and then there's the healing wheel as well. So the kind of flip of that, which is how can I soothe? How can I comfort? How can I provide self-care when I'm experiencing these ripple effects of sexual violence that the trauma caused in the short term and the long term of my life? Yes, I have uh, actually read that article and it was really good and um, because I have his working as an advocate in a shelter so I really feel that it has so many points about the healing because sometimes we like focus on the bad things but, and then we forgot that there's um we are able to heal mm -hmm. absolutely yeah there's hope there's resiliency there's strength uh, there are so many things that we can do through the difficult moment that we survive and especially that connection with others can be such a great stepping stone for getting to some of those healing mechanisms that work for us. Yeah, thank you so much for being here today with us. I feel so inspired right now. I really love the like the positive um, energy that you have and you kind of like spread around. So <laughs> yeah, it really was great. I appreciate Laura, that. Could you um, real quick say the name of your podcast and where we where um, people can listen to it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So the name of the podcast is Starting to Feel Better and it's available on Spotify, on Anchor, on Google, podcast usually yeah they're between like a half hour and an hour long i try to give you a little sense of of what each episode's going to be about laura thank you so much for being here today with us thank you so much laura thank you for listening to our podcast these past few weeks we have lots of fun making these episodes and we hope that you enjoyed listening to them keep an eye for more projects from the we speak group bye